Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our second season of Medtronic Talks. In our first season, we spoke with the leaders of Medtronic's operating units to better understand the direction of each of the businesses. Now, with their courses set and clear, we're going to talk to the engineers, scientists, physicians, and other experts who are executing on these strategies. We'll still keep a tight focus on each of Medtronic's businesses, but we are going to get a lot deeper into these stories. Let's go. Hey, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Medtronic Talks podcast. I'm excited to bring you an interview that I did with Dr. Laura Maori. Dr. Maori is the new Senior Vice President and Chief Scientific Medical and Regulatory Officer for Medtronic. She's going to be overseeing those three essential parts of the medtech business. And she brings an extensive background in caring for patients. She was an interventional cardiologist. She ultimately joined Medtronic in 2018. We'll go through her background about what brought her into medicine and uh, more importantly, or more relevant, what brought her to Medtronic. She's got some great stories about her first three years here and about where uh, Medtronic will be headed in the future. So I, I know you'll enjoy this conversation with Dr. Laura Maori, the Senior Vice President and Chief Scientific Medical and Regulatory Officer at Medtronic. But first, I'd like to bring in a word from this episode's sponsor, the Medmark Insurance Group. I'd like to share a conversation I had with John Agello. John is the Vice President of Business Development and Marketing at Medmark. John, if you'd start us off by telling us about Medmark. Sure, I'd be happy to. Medmark Insurance Group is a specialty insurance company focused on products liability and manufacturer's E&O insurance for medical technology companies. Founded in 1979, we offer insurance policies, claims handling, and risk management services to med device manufacturers and distributors, drug companies, and biotech firms. Our insureds, they range in size from those starting their first human clinical trials to multinational billion-dollar organizations. Our products and services can be accessed through your local insurance broker or directly through medmark.com. We'll hear more from John Agello a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out more about Medmark, go to medmark, that's M-E-D-M-A-R-C.com. Now let's begin our interview with Dr. Laura Maori. Well, Dr. Laura Maori, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here, Tom. Great. Congratulations on your, your new post at Medtronic. It's an exciting time for you. Thanks. It's a, I think it's an exciting time for Medtronic. I'm glad to, glad to be part of it. Terrific. I'd love to uh, start these podcasts just learning a little bit about our guests' uh, career paths, uh, always starting with, with the first move into medicine or medtech, uh, usually medtech, in this case, medicine. What drew you to, uh, to become a doctor? Yeah, it's interesting. I So I... Um, Probably personal experience is really is really what it comes down down to. I didn't have uh, doctors in my family. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up kind of with an international background. My parents had come to the U.S. were both first generation. My parents had come to the U.S. and were both first generation, and one from Italy, one from China. And uh, my father was an engineer. Uh, my mother was a librarian. We we moved overseas quite a bit. So initially, I thought a lot about uh, work overseas and global types of work. But my experience was that my my mother was diagnosed 
with lung cancer when I was in high school. Oh, wow. And living through that with her and her experience was really impactful for, for my decision to you know, take my interests and apply them to medicine. Even before that, though, I think I, I had some sort of indication that I was interested in medicine. Whenever there was an emergency in the house or first aid, something was needed. Other people in the family had like fainted at the sight of blood. Or, <laughs> and somehow I, I just found I had an interest and an aptitude for jumping in in those situations. So that was probably a, another indication for me. You had a kit ready to go, ready to, to <laughs> suture some wounds if you had to. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, you mentioned you were overseas. You could have gone over either either sea. Where were you in the world? Yeah, both actually. Oh, okay. um, I spent a lot of time in, in Italy as a child because I had an extended family there of uh, grandparents and aunts and uncles. And so I, that was uh, where I spent a lot of my summertime, you know, instead of going to a summer camp or something like that. And then in high school, I moved to Tokyo, Japan and went to an international school there. And really, so really enjoyed those experiences and being in a, in different countries and, and learning a bit about the language, about, about the people. Interesting. Wow. So you entered medicine for the reason you stated. I'm curious as to what led you to the interventional field? What is it about that approach to medicine that connected with you or that you connected with? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, I was, I was always interested in sort of that urgent emergency care in a crisis. I thought that that was really interesting, but in particular cardiology at the time that I was in medicine, which, which is just, um, just entering, you know, the time where I, where I was deciding what to specialize in, there were just so many new therapies coming out, whether it was drugs um, it was starting to be more medical devices, but mm. you know, primarily drugs actually at the time. And that connection between biology and science and then seeing things move really rapidly from bench research uh, to understand what the targets were to seeing how these were working in clinical settings. I had firsthand experience with that, you know, rotating through a cardiac care unit and seeing how patients with heart attack over the period of years, their care was really dramatically improved mm. first with medications and then with stents and then eventually with, um, with drug looting stents. So it was more, this was an area that was, that was had a lot of dynamic movement in it, a lot of progress, less that you liked working with the tools, the gadgets that you do to use to treat people, or imagine maybe it was a combination of both. Yeah, it was certainly a combination of both. I mean, I throughout my career while I was practicing, I always had a combination of um, sort of that practical experience and, and really enjoying, you know, working with patients and working with teams in the procedural setting, and you know how how we develop better and better technologies, and just the you know the personal satisfaction of being able to actually change the course of somebody's illness that dramatically and quickly. Mm -hmm. So that leads to the next question. You're, you moved to uh, to Medtronic a few years ago. Uh, I know you're asked this a lot, but uh, what was built into the decision to uh, to begin to move away from direct clinical care and uh, and move over to industry? Yeah. Well, over my you know, my whole, I spent 15 years combining you know clinical practice and interventional cardiology with um, running research programs um, in clinical trials, and in that work, I I was teaching how to innovate in clinical trials and ran a research institute. I also was working with 
um, companies, consulting with companies and running trial programs for companies. We were always trying to find the combination between the what were the medical needs? How would this technology be shown to be effective and, mm-hmm. and, and safe um, and how to do that in the most efficient way? And, and for me, that was all about all motivated by getting access to, to therapies that were going to help patients as soon as possible. And so through that, I, I knew that I enjoyed working with new technology and, and bringing it through that course. I felt like in the academic setting, I, you know, I, I kind of accomplished what I could in that setting. And, you know, coming to Medtronic was really special because one, you know, the global reach of the company to the range of products that we have and the range of expertise that exists within the company to bring new things forward um, was really exciting. And so that, that opportunity to me to extend the impact to healthcare leadership, I think was really interesting. Did you think inter- interventionalists, I'm, I was thinking about this question this morning on while walk, walking my dog, just what, what's mm-hmm. the common the common trait about interventionalists? Are they, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, the the use of your hands, the, the use of tools. Yeah. Is, are interventionalists naturally geared toward technology, more receptive toward technology? And I would have to think, as you said, being part of this rising specialty, you had an opportunity to be part of a lot of clinical trials. So I'm sure that that only strengthened your connection to, to industry, which is what you said earlier, I suppose. <laughs> but what are, yeah. what are the common traits about interventionalists? Is it, is it a love of technology? Right, we'll take a quick break from this conversation with Dr. Mara to bring back our sponsor, Medmark Insurance. Once again, I'm speaking with John Agello, Vice President of Business Development and Marketing at Medmark. John, how exactly does Medmark work with medical device companies? Tom, we work with them in a number of different ways. First and foremost, offering insurance policies for products liability so you can get your med tech products to market and conduct your clinical trials. We also offer manufacturers E&O policies to satisfy your contractual requirements with your customers. Secondly, we work with your insurance broker and risk management and insurance team to craft appropriate policy terms and benchmark industry data for decisions regarding insurance limits to carry. We also provide risk management services, such as contract reviews that you use with your customers and suppliers, on-site inspections of factory floors and warehouses. We offer training of your staff on products liability risks and how to minimize them, and regulatory compliance review and training. We offer a myriad of resources to med tech firms designed to help you identify and prevent products liability exposures via our publications, webinars, and our new video series on medmark.com. And finally, while no one expects a products liability claim, they can and do happen. Our claims team and dedicated panel of defense attorneys are here to represent you and defend you and your product. And finally, John, it's been a bumpy couple of years for everybody, including medical device companies. What uh, lessons have we learned? Well, we've never been prouder with being part of the medtech community, just the resilience and the flexibility that our insureds and our clients and our vendors uh, have had both during and after the depth of the pandemic have just been amazing. Many of our insureds have come roaring back with increased revenues, new M&A activity, new clinical trial, and expansions into new areas of medtech. And these insurance buyers are asking us and their brokers to find higher limits of insurance and to review their current programs to make sure that they're still applicable. Inflation 
both the social and financial types are impacting our clients. And we're seeing that in the conversations that we're having day to day. If you're currently insured with Medmark, we thank you. If you're interested in learning more about us or getting a quote, please discuss it with your insurance broker. We work with agents all across the country and we're eager to engage with them. Finally, see our website for risk management tools and publications. Connect with us on social media so you can gain the benefits of our periodic emails, videos, webinars, and the like. That's great. Thanks again to Medmark for sponsoring this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Medmark, you can go to their website, medmark.com. That's M-E-D-M-A-R-C.com. But what are, yeah. what are the common traits about interventionalists? Is it, is it a love of technology? Yeah, there's definitely a love of technology, though, you know, I would say it's not a love for technology for technology's sake. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot about the value that we, you know, that we bring. It has to actually work and provide some benefit, right? So it's um, less about exciting features and it's about, does this make my procedure faster, easier, safer for the patient, long, long-term better results for the patient, all those things. But what's interesting about interventional when you look at the fields and, and maybe even more broadly, when you look at the things that are adjacent to it, there's just a lot of tinkering that had to happen over the years to, and it's happened quickly. So mm-hmm. you think about, you know, initially just in the 1970s, angioplasty was started where you use balloons to open an artery and it was fraught. It was difficult. It was hair raising, you know, that, and you had to, there were longer procedures. You had to be prepared for anything to go wrong. You had to anticipate what could go wrong and, and address that. And then you often had to kind of MacGyver solutions because the technology didn't exist off the shelf. And that continues to be true. And I think it's expected that um, in early device development, that there's a role for the physician to play to bring the therapy along. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So in joining the uh, Medtronic, many physicians I've talked to who have taken more chief medical officer roles have said that they feel they, they still feel that they're caring for, for patients. They're just caring for thousands of patients as opposed to maybe hundreds. They still feel as if they're contributing to healthcare. Do you get that feeling when you were, you joined as vice president, global clinical research and analytics? So you were you were on the cutting edge of the the trial side, but did that extend your connection to patients still, uh, or, or maintain that connection to patients that you had? Absolutely. You know, I, I left a career where already I was thinking about scale, right? Because when you do clinical trials, and then you're involved in the national societies and thinking about what's going to impact changing practice. All those things were the space that I was working in before I came to Medtronic. Mm-hmm. What was different was looking at really beginning to end the whole stream of, okay, from the idea phase, what is the value that we're anticipating that we can provide with the new new technology all the way through to how do we get this into, into patients, have access globally, but also you know across um, a, a different population, some of which don't have great access to healthcare, even within our country. I felt that it was a way to be involved at all of those phases. And so the scale just was magnified um, tremendously. And that's, that, that was very exciting uh, for me. So what were some of the, when you came aboard in, in 2018, what were your, your duties then? I kind of want to, I want to understand what you started doing and then you're moving to the new role, what your responsibilities will be there? Because I, you, you took over for, for Rick Kuntz uh, and it's, you're, you added regulatory to the, to an already uh, 
full title, I think. So you've got a lot of responsibilities. I'd love to understand what your role is, but can we just start with what you were initially doing when you joined Medtronic in 2018? Right, right. So joining Medtronic in some ways was a, when I joined it, I was responsible for clinical research and data analytics. And clinical research was really well integrated across the organization from an operational standpoint. So everything for the company was performed through um, centers of excellence and, and shared services. And so in some ways, I arrived into something that was very familiar to my work in a research institute before that was somewhat similar, but external. So it allowed me to learn the company, um, but also see opportunities where what I wanted to bring at that point was really applying multiple sources of data, right, for patient data, because that's not just acquired through clinical trials. And then also think about how, how do we make sure that all of the parts of Medtronic that, that are involved in research have the most efficient methods to do trials. And so they're doing the smartest uh, way of evaluating something that's going to actually achieve the endpoint. Um, and that could be through more clarity of what the value is and to set up the questions in a way that more clearly demonstrates that. Or sometimes it was using you know, novel data or statistical methods. It was building up the organization to be able to have that capability more deeply that I worked on in the first couple of years here, while also just getting getting more familiar with what challenges and opportunities were you know we were faced across the company that that I could have an input on through my uh, organization. I've asked this question once before of a physician who moved over to uh, to industry. What surprised you about coming over here? Was it was it as in you, you anticipate? I mean, you obviously worked with folks from Medtronic and I'm sure other companies as well in your work as a physician, but being part of an organization like this, was there anything that you weren't anticipating, good or bad, but probably want to share the, share the good? I would say the surprises were good. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, I, when I think about, the first thing is that I, I knew a lot about Medtronic, but a really small corner of it. Yeah. I knew cardiovascular. I knew the physician facing parts of it or the research facing parts of it. And I didn't really know the depth of expertise that existed and that was required and how complex of an organization is required to be able to deliver healthcare technology and, and lead. So I think learning that, learning the depth of that, you know, hearing um, how these, these factors all come together and, um, has been really interesting. And I, you know, I continued to learn. The other thing that I, I was impressed with was very early on, there was a, a question about the safety of one of our products. It was a drug coated balloon for lower leg angioplasty for patients who have pain when they're, when they're, when they're walking, it can be very debilitating. And we had a product that, that released a, a drug that was really superior in terms of providing a long-term relief of symptoms uh, but there were questions about the data and whether this device actually increased the mortality rate uh, was being raised by outside investigators. So this created kind of a firestorm. I had experienced firestorms like that in the past and other, other subject areas and been really involved. So, But what was surprised me about that was the response of, of the company. So I recall a meeting, um, this was when Omar was CEO where we were talking about the topic and he turned to me after the meeting and said, what, you know, what do you really think? And I started to talk about the 
details of what we might do and what our plan might be. And he said, no, no, no. What do you really think? Because if if there's a problem here and we need to, to stop, we're ready to do that. And just hearing that like within the first couple of months of working at Medtronic, that it wasn't just all about calculating the balancing of risks and all. It really came down to, is there a value here mm-hmm. for patients? And that to me was really reinforcing that I was in the right place for what, what I wanted to do. Oh, that's a great point and, and a great anecdote. And you had some interesting times, I mean, in, in your role. I mean, we all did, I suppose, over the last two or three years, but you were, at this point, you were senior vice president. In September 2020, you became senior vice president, chief clinical and regulatory officer at Medtronic. The Jeff Martha had taken over as CEO. The business was, the company was reorganizing into its 20 businesses. And on top of that, a pandemic was going on. I wonder what was that time period like with all of those changes and, and, and how did it change what you were doing either with, with clinical trials or in the other areas that you that you oversaw? Well, let's talk about the reorganization first. What impact did that have on, on how you did your job? Yeah, I think I had already been for, for my organization thinking of heading in and in a, starting to head actually in a similar direction, which was to have that balance between the agility and the enablement of the businesses or now the operating units and the new operating model and providing central support, but viewing it as a whole, as one, one enterprise function, as opposed to thinking about corporate versus business and having, you know, an ivory tower kind of approach. So I was, I was already, we were already doing Unbeknownst to me, the operating model was coming, <laughs> but we were already kind of heading in, the, in that same direction. So then, when I joined the XCOM with clinical and regulatory now being under my responsibility, it just was fitting for where we were headed. So it wasn't, it, we were already kind of on that journey. For the combination of clinical and regulatory was new, but it made sense to me because when I think about regulatory, it's not just about paperwork, right? It's about working with agencies and stakeholders outside of the company who are charged with doing the best thing for patients, which is bringing products forward efficiently that are safe, right? Mm -hmm. Providing access as quickly as possible to things that are going to be life-changing. They're also tasked with that. They have to do it in a way that ensures safety. And so, so do we. And so I had worked previously with regulators in my role as a, as a medical or clinical trial leader, for instance, representing approvals and panels for products or safety issues and panels. So I was really interested in how, how do we continue to enable Medtronic to tell the stories that need to support either an approval or the access to our products worldwide. And you know, ultimately, that's a, a very strategic role as well that has a connection to information, to science, to being centered on the patient. And with the organization, how do you function? Do you have a central team that works with the individual business units, or do you have folks that, that report to you who are embedded in the individual business units? How is that structured? Yeah, I would say I would say it's essentially both. Yeah. You know, when, as I was saying, when I'm thinking about the organization, I'm thinking about it holistically. Um, and so I have, we have a central team that is shared services and centers of excellence around clinical, medical, and regulatory, but then the work on the specific programs for clinical trials or regulatory submissions, or the chief medical officers that do work is all within the operating units. Mm-hmm. And that's through an indirect organization. But, but I, you know, I consider when we think about how to move the needle for Medtronic, I think we want to think about it in totality. 
I mentioned the pandemic earlier. I've tried to avoid these questions, but clinical trials were certainly impacted by the lockdown. How did it impact Medtronic? What what changes did you make? And, I, and I'm wondering if you're seeing any, I mean, we saw a lot more reliance upon virtual connections and collecting data through those means. Do you see how clinical trials have been conducted? Do you see that a permanent change in that going forward from the, the ideas we adopted during the pandemic? Definitely. I definitely see permanent changes. I mean, it was kind of the silver lining, I guess. I mean, COVID was terrible, but, you know, one thing, first it pulled the organization together to say, like, how can we move fast, even faster? What are the programs that we have that we can scale that are going to make it easier for hospitals and patients during this time? Because the clinical trials organization is very physician and patient facing, we were hearing really early on about the challenges that hospitals were facing where they're, you know, you have patients who are in trials and it's important for their safety that we continue to be able to follow how they're doing after they've been treated or implanted with one of our devices, especially if it's, if it's investigational, right. And experimental still. And yet the staff of the hospitals were really under a lot of stress. And so we immediately had to respond with ways to make their work easier and to support them. And one of the ways we did that was to take a small pilot program where we worked remotely to get the records uh, for patients through electronic means and scaled that for all of our clinical trials. And that adoption of remote methods for clinical research is something that now is standard. And we were industry leading in that because we had a program that we could stand up right away. And part of the success of that was also being able to immediately work with the FDA and and share with them what we were doing so that they could enable that with some of the steps that they took to be able to facilitate um, remote work. In assembling trials going forward, do you see them being markedly different in design or execution than they might have been two or three years ago? Yeah. I, I think there's more and more focus on what can we easily and reliably collect directly from patients. Mm-hmm. If it's using an app that we give them, we have examples of that that are ongoing with our cardiac monitoring devices, for example, where we're obtaining information directly from patients instead of going through multiple steps of having them come to a hospital location and talk to a nurse and I think that's more and more the way going forward. We we also are doing a lot more in getting patient preferences and how to be included in, in clinical trials and what, what they find to be important to participate. One of the interesting things we found during the pandemic is that we actually had some trials that increased enrollment despite the challenges. Hmm. Because we were able to go directly to patients through social media, for example, for our renal denervation trials, and patients had more time at home. They were interacting more with us, you know, without going to the hospital. So we could do a lot of the screening to, you know, check their interest and eligibility for the trial before they even had to go to a hospital location. So I think those are going to, those are becoming the ways of working in clinical research. And the final area I'd like to hit upon, you mentioned it earlier with the difficulty that the hospitals and and medical staff were having during the pandemic. A lot of those troubles still continue today. I know we're both in Boston. The Globe had an article a couple of days ago from the recording of ORs having to shut down due to lack of, of staffing. How do you see Medtronic's relationship with the clinical community changing going forward? It might be a broader med tech connection as well, but 
I wonder if the medtech industry needs to can do anything to sort of support hospitals during the difficult times that they're having and how that support might change the relationship with clinical staff and with hospitals. Yeah. Well, I think that emphasis on workflow is really critically important. And it's not just about what feature gets you through a procedure or, you know, is new and exciting, but, you know, what provides value to the healthcare system, which is is uh, becoming really critical if you can shave time off of the workflow or, or the impacts. And I think that's happening across all of our, all of our businesses. So the more remote solutions we have, for instance, through Bluetooth or programming devices from ventilators to pacemakers that require a lighter touch from individuals, those were really boosted by by COVID where, for example, we had introduced together with Intel a way to make programming changes to the ventilators that were supporting patients in intensive care units Mm -hmm. without having a technician go into the room. Um, So that was done for safety reasons during COVID, but it, it facilitates the workflow. So I think all of those things are happening, whether it's in the surgical suite with our surgical programs or avoiding the need to have somebody turn off your pacemaker when you go into an MRI setting, the remote interrogation of devices that can happen directly from a patient through a phone. These are all things that I think are important and the, the measured benefits are, are to the healthcare system mm-hmm. and the experience, experience of patients as well, of course. Final question. How much do you, I'm sure you have a lot of colleagues and friends who are still in the healthcare industry. So you're aware of the pressures that are on them. I'm curious in going forward, when you're planning a trial or considering a technology, are you weighing the the pressures on staffing maybe more than you might have a few years ago? Or is it the same? And, and do you see those pressures just sort of have always been present, and they'll be, uh, and they'll be, and they'll continue to be present at the same level? How, how are you viewing things going forward? Do you look at the staffing concerns any any more than you might have in the past? You know, I think we're we're always trying to in, think about what's the experience, the user experience, right, mm-hmm. of, of physicians, whether it's um, how they work with our clinical trials or how they work with our products. So. I just think it becomes even more critical of a focus is that patient user experience as well as the provider user experience. We really focus on that and having an impact on that. I do think that that topic of burnout in physicians is is real a real concern. I think that comes from partially from um, the disconnect with technology that some some physicians are, are facing and perhaps patients as well, but certainly physicians. And yet I I have seen really great examples of where we're trying to both take new technology forward and address some of the systemic problems that we see in the medical system. So, you know, many of my colleagues are concerned about disparities in access to care, and that's a good example. So within clinical trials, for example, we're really trying to think about how do we address that at every level, providing the, the research teams with the tools that they need to address bias, be aware of bias and the materials that they need and, and set, up, set up trials that are for us are a win-win because by engaging with the physicians, we build their interest and excitement by engaging with the communities, the same thing. And we can actually do, we have examples of trials where we're enrolling a high 
number of diverse populations, female patients, much higher than we've, we've done in, in the past intentionally mm-hmm. by bringing on investigators who are excited about that. And those trials are competitive. They're against, you know, competitive products that are going to show, you know, the superiority of our products and they're moving faster than, than we had expected, probably because of that enthusiasm. So I, I think it's finding those win-win situations together with physicians that get people excited about their work. Okay, now my my actual final final question. Looking forward, I just am curious as to to what changes you'd like to to see. What what has you excited about the future of Medtronic? Yeah, thanks, Tom. As I look forward, I think there's and I, I think about where really great innovations have come from that have impacted patients and brought value. I think about the role of using scientific information and intelligence that we have in spades, both within the organization as well as outside. And that spans many of our different businesses, but can be you know, tapped into across disciplines. There's so many intersections, right, between different specific areas where we have products. So I look at cardiovascular, for example, and you have surgeons and non-invasive individuals working together to innovate. And then you have what's happening in basic research. The same is true in, in all of our other fields. And so I think we can do a lot to follow follow that model of really bringing that understanding of what the opportunities are to impact patients through understanding physiology and the mechanisms uh, behind disease and better linking that to the technology advances that we see as opportunities, because ultimately that's how we drive value for patients. Well, this has been a great conversation, Dr. Maury. Thank you for, uh, for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's been fun talking with you. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Thanks you to Dr. Maura Lowry for being our guest and to Medmark for sponsoring this episode and making it possible. Please, if you would, follow, like, or subscribe to this podcast on whatever podcast player you prefer. That way you won't miss a future episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. You can also find past and future episodes on devicetalks.com. We can also find information about our other podcasts and events, including upcoming Device Talks West, which is happening on October 19th and 20th in Santa Clara. We'll have Medtronic well represented there, I assure you. You can also find these podcasts on medtronic.com. But again, the best way to not miss an episode is by subscribing. Finally, please connect with me on social media. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom and I am on LinkedIn, Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I of Device Talks. Once again, thanks for joining us and tune in next time. We'll have another great episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast waiting for you. Mm -hmm.